Blog Talk Radio. Model 1588 
It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chickens to turkeys to ducks to peacocks. Nothing to lose, so start today. Not a major water, the easy way. Learn more now, you can't go wrong. ChickenFountain.com Where Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at one 888 824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feed. It's got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. He'll be joining us here shortly, and we're going to be talking all about aflatoxin, and uh, we'll be talking a very important uh, topic, very interesting topic. Make sure you get those Chicken whisper notebooks and pens out today. You're going to want to take notes uh, with today's show. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, then, hey, it's going to be a great show for you, and uh, you'll uh, expand your education on keeping your backyard flock happy and healthy. So, again, thanks for joining us. want to send a quick shout-out to, well, all the homeschoolers. It's, uh, it is the season, uh, all the homeschoolers who are tuning into the show live today and listen to the archive and incorporate the show into their daily curriculum. We thank you very much. Yes, all the over-the-road truck drivers that tune in 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the archive. Uh, keep the rubber on the road. Get that freight there. Get home to your family. safe for the holidays. And uh, when I get back on tour here this spring, I'll be uh, seeing you out there, guys and gals. I uh, want to thank all of the uh, uh, well, the feed and seed stores out there that stream this radio show live for their listeners every day. Thank you very much for doing so. Hope you're having uh, a very good uh, holiday season regarding uh, your sales. And uh, some of the dealers here in Florida, I'll be seeing you uh, the first week in February uh, when I do a, a little mini tour down here. I'm going to be hitting about four retail stores, I think the first week in February, doing some uh, getting started with poultry uh, workshops. And uh, book signing as well, autographs, pictures, the whole nine yards. Love to get out and see my fans. So we'll be doing that, and I'll give you more information about that as it becomes available. And, of course, everybody that listens to the archive shows, thousands of you, thank you so much for tuning in when you can in your busy schedules to learn more about your backyard flock of chickens. We do, we do appreciate that. 
Um, let's see, coming up later in the week, I know that Thursday uh, we've got the good folks over at ePoultry, uh, e-animal products. So they're going to be coming on to talk about a new poultry product to help improve your, your flock's immune system, ePoultry, and i um, anxious to, to talk to them about their product for several reasons. Uh, it is a whey-based product, and we know that chickens don't have the necessary enzymes in their gut to properly digest dairy products. So we're going to talk about all the science of whey versus milk and getting it out of milk and, and uh, the amount in there and, and uh, the science that goes behind this uh, product uh, and how it can help uh, improve the maybe the gut health of your poultry and increase their immune system. So that will be an interesting show coming up this Thursday. I've started working on, uh, of course, restructuring the show for 2016. Very happy regarding that and the outcome. And uh, so far, you know, we'll have we'll continue to have poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae to come on um, the first and third Thursdays of every month. We also just signed on, very happy and thrilled, um, Dr. Maurice Pateski from UC Davis out in California, who's going to be uh, joining us uh, the uh, second Tuesday of every single month. Really looking forward to what he can bring as far as value to the show uh, and the health of our backyard flocks. And then uh, we'll have uh, we'll fill in here with Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, who'll be joining us the fourth Thursday of every month. So we got all of our Thursday lines up. We're starting to work on Tuesday lineups. And uh, so we'll do the Tuesday, Thursday shows. And uh, I've already scheduled one with the uh, director of MPIP, uh, Dr. Brinson, a good friend of mine, and always a pleasure to talk with her. I talked with her yesterday. On the 12th of January, I, I wanted to do this uh, as people start to order uh, their um, chickens for mail order hatcheries, as they do every spring, and they just get bombarded. Uh, about a brand new program that MPIP has based on or due to all of the um, salmonella outbreaks we've had over the last decade, 15 years out, 10 to 15 years out, uh, from and, and, and were traced back to mail order hatcheries. Um, they've developed a new program, and I'm urging folks to, when they go and call, whatever hatchery you're going to use around there, uh, and, and even small breeders um, and uh, can participate in this program. A lot of them are already MPIP um, 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 examine. There's no MPIP certified. The certified it doesn't exist. Um, so when they say MP, MPIP certified, you know, just take it for a grain of salt. They don't certify anybody. You can participate in that program, and that comes straight from the director's mouth. There is no such thing as MPIP quote certified. They participate in the program, uh, and um, but they're not. They don't get certified for or by or by doing anything, and. Um, but they participate in the MPIP program, but this is another level that they can participate in, uh, regardless of the size of their backyard flock or their, or their breeder flock or even the big major hatcheries out there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking folks that when you call to order from these major hatcheries and mail order, to ask if they participate in the Salmonella Monitored Program. It's brand new, um, and if they say no, I would ask them why, and then uh, or why not, <laughs> why don't they? And are you familiar with this program? And I'm, I'm sure they are, and uh, for some reason they may or may not choose to do that. But what it does is it requires the hatchery to test, I believe, if I remember correctly, twice a month for salmonella strains that could affect humans. Uh, and again, all this is based on the outbreaks we've had over the last 10 to 15 years coming from these hatcheries um, every spring. 
and uh, or a number of hatcheries every spring. And uh, so it's just one more way to help eliminate this from happening. If you remember correctly, uh, earlier this year I interviewed a family where their 14-year-old son got salmonella, salmon, uh, uh, salmonella poisoning um, from their backyard uh, chickens, which they were, of course, chicks. And it was a fascinating radio show. I mean, it went from uh, being starting to be feel sick, thinking it was the stomach bug, to being in an ICU for several days, literally talking about planning a funeral for this 14-year-old. Um, and then, and then after that, um, uh, figuring out through testing what it was, getting them on the proper antibiotics, and then having a, a turnaround. And we talked to his parents, and it was just a fascinating show. And uh, but because of this, Salmonella Monitored is the uh, is the program that um, I would recommend you ask for. Hey, do you participate in the Salmonella Monitored program? And it basically checks for Salmonella strains that can affect us human humans, not just the uh, Salmonella pylorum that, that just affects the, the poultry. And that's important, uh, but this is a new program. So I would urge everybody, when they're ordering from these hatcheries this spring, to, uh, to maybe mention that. Say, hey, do you participate in this new MPIP program, Salmonella Monitored? And if no, well, why don't you do that? See what their theory is of what their uh, reasoning is of why they're not doing that, uh, I would think that uh, uh, some testing would be beneficial uh, to try to protect their customers. So we're going to have her on on the 12th of January, um, right when people are starting to place their orders, get their orders in, get all those catalogs from all the hatcheries, and she'll be explaining this program and why it's important uh, to order from a hatchery in, in their mind that participates in this program. So uh, we'll be talking all about that. And I've got tons of other stuff lined up for 2016. I'm very, very, very excited. And we also have another big announcement. I'm, I'm slowly paddling through this um, announcement and getting the, the, the thing, quote unquote, set up for this announcement. I think it'll be just one more great way we can spread the chicken love between the magazine and the book and the tours and the podcast. And just one more thing to add to it to get our message out there. Science-based, fact-based, study-based information that you can rely on. Um, oh, which reminds me, uh, I have posted a new post on our uh, cool new uh, webpage, factorchickenpoop.com, and that's where we kind of scour the blogs and forums out there related to chickens and pick out a statement that someone's made as if it's a true factual statement. Here's the statement. We take that statement, we send it to a poultry expert that may be one of the top universities that participate in the program, and then we have them reply to the statement we found on these chicken blogs and forums to um, uh, to critique. And then they, they, you know, not like a magazine article where it gets really in-depth and, and science-oriented, but just more of a, just a casual two- or three-paragraph response to that statement and um, to, uh, to, to really let people know, is this fact or is it chicken poop? So, so we've got that going on as well. Talking about 2016 here, the the revamp of the podcast. Really excited about new guests coming on. Dr. Patisky once a month. We'll continue to have Dr. McCray. We'll continue to have the Chicken Doctor, and uh, some others are are, are in line uh, that we're hoping with that we'll uh, sign off. So we're really looking forward to that. Loving that. Um, and uh, and then this huge big project I'm working on, which I hope will pan out. It's really technical, and it's and I'm I'm talking to companies that can maybe help develop this. 
but I think it'll be one more way we can spread the chicken love and get backyard poultry into millions of households uh, in their living room. And at their leisure, they can learn about uh, keeping backyard poultry happy and healthy. So that's a great project we're working on daily here. I um, want to swing over to, for just a minute, Chickens in the News. We've got a great Chickens in the News segment today for you as we uh, scour the chicken news all over the world. And this one today comes to us from the Sacramento Bee. The Sacramento Bee at Sacramento, California. The title of this Chickens in the News uh, comes out, Experimental Pasture Poultry Farm at UC Davis to Provide Timely Research. Pasture Poultry Farm is raising 150 chickens. The portable coop is at the center of chicken research, and answers are sought on how pasture-fed birds thrive and avoid disease. So, um, Mitchell McCarthy, a UC Davis Agricultural and Biological Systems Engineer student, in this picture, holds a young layer chicken on his arm in front of the portable coop dubbed the Eggmobile at UC Davis. McCarthy helped design and build the coop at the UC Davis Pastured Poultry Farm. Okay, uh, This is a brand new uh, farm, They've, and maybe you'll say in here, um, uh, well it does, I see it right here, how many acres and, and their whole goal here, so we'll continue. When a flock of white feathered chickens saunters out of a portable coop dubbed the Eggmobile at UC Davis, it's likely they're hopping into the future from a not-so-distant past. The flock of 150 Loman white chickens are part of an experiment in pasture poultry farming, one in which veterinary engineering and plant science departments are employing their expertise. The goal? To test different methods of raising chickens on pasture land. In today's world of chickens housed in cages, it's a throwback to the methods used by farmers before World War II. But this experiment also looks forward, not back. Pastured eggs are growing in popularity with consumers, part of the larger farm-to-fork movement in which people pay more attention to how their food is raised. The Eggmobile and the four-and-a-half-acre plot of pasture land on the UC Davis campus is set aside for the chickens. It sees to address the needs of a challenging poultry industry and the explosion of backyard chicken farming. That's what we've been talking about for the last seven years doing the show. <laughs> In the early half of the 20th century, it was customary to see chickens on farms with full access to the outdoors. Thereafter, farmers and farming operations started raising poultry in large indoor enclosures. The reasons were physiological as much as economical. Keeping them indoors kept the birds dry at a standard temperature, and away from predators. It also kept them away from a slew of avian flu diseases. But keeping them indoors downsides, packing birds into buildings increased outbreaks of other diseases, and the drive for profit saw more and more birds packed into smaller spaces that offered poor air quality and artificial lighting. In the last 20 years, the practice of farming have been called into question, and more consumers are demanding pasture-fed chickens. The Eggmobile, Eggmobile is a central feature of the UC Davis poultry pasture. The bright red and white structure mounted on wheels looks like a portable barn. Inside, it contains waterers and removable nest boxes and roosts. It costs $5,000 to build and can be wheeled around to different parts of the pasture. The birds sleep inside the structure and come outside to forage in the pasture during the day. Moving the flock around the pasture um, uh, meets different sections 
uh, in different sections gets fertilized by bird droppings. UC Davis researchers say knowledge gleaned from raising the chickens will provide tools for poultry farmers, master gardeners, and a growing army of backyard chicken farmers in the Sacramento region. And I'm sure all, all over the country, because they'll, they'll do these studies and they'll, they'll, they'll make those studies public. The effort is also meant to address a dearth of academic research on, on pastured poultry farming, said Maurice Patiski. Here we go. Uh, be coming on the show on a regular basis, 2016. Uh, he is a specialist in population health and reproduction at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. Resources to address food safety, welfare, and environmental issues. These are the kinds of things that have not really uh, have not been usually available to poultry farmers. So um, it goes on and on and on. I'm going to stop there uh, because there's a good bit more here. We want to get into our topic, but um, that's that's our news for today. And you can look more uh, about that. Just uh, research pastured poultry farm at UC Davis to get more information. It's gotten a lot of uh, media here lately. And uh, it's uh, just to, to to do this to try to uh, get some studies in for uh, you know there's an awful lot of farmers out there, um, big and small, that are getting into the pastured poultry, whether it be for egg laying or meat, and um, this this is, can help them providing new ways, new experiments, new technology, things that seem to be working, not working, maybe some problems that come into play, uh, maybe more internal parasites because they're out on pasture uh, all day uh, picking things up that may cause more internal parasites. So it's, I think it's going to come out with maybe some good information for a lot of these folks that are really into that. Uh, and there are a lot of people that, that really go out and, and try to find small farms for their eggs and for their, uh, their meat birds. You and I both uh, know that. And uh, so I think this will be, uh, hopefully, we'll put out some really good studies and information learned for a lot of people that are doing that. It's not for everybody. I, I understand that. Uh, I try to walk that fine line where, um, you know, when people say, oh, we shouldn't raise poultry like this, I understand 100% your concern, the welfare and, and other things like that. Uh, but when you sit down and be honest with yourself, when you see those poultry trucks going down the road and you ask yourself, oh, I don't like that. That's why I raised my backyard poultry. You ask yourself, well, you know, the reason why we've come to raising poultry that way is because you, you can point to yourself, uh, I can point to myself, want a $8.99 chicken entree when you go to the restaurant. You, point to yourself, you want chicken breast from the grocery store for $2.99 a pound. You want that $0.99 cent six-piece chicken nugget meal at the fast food restaurant. You want... Okay. Um, uh, again, to go out to a restaurant and, and only pay twelve dollars and ninety-five. You want the four dollar and ninety-nine cent rotisserie chicken at Walmart. I know you do. So, okay, maybe not you right there talking to you, but that's why we do it that way. So you, the consumer, can have a four dollar ninety-nine cent rotisserie chicken at Walmart when you're checking out in that little heater kiosk. Okay, so it may not be you, but uh, the, the only way you cannot blame yourself for that, if you have never, if you have never eaten at a restaurant anywhere in America, you've never eaten fast food chicken, you've never bought chicken in the grocery store for three ninety nine for a boneless breast of chicken, and you've never, you know, um, uh, bought that fast food uh, chicken sandwich. So if you've never done that in all your days, congratulations, you are one of the very, very, very few. But if you haven't, so so when people ask, well, why do we do that? That's a big reason for it consumer. 
But there are a lot of people that they that, that I'm not participating in that. They go out and they want these pasture, pastured eggs. They want the pastured poultry. They're willing to pay. It's a big key. They're willing to pay for it because it's a part of their lifestyle. And uh, we absolutely commend you for that. But a lot of people don't have access. A lot of people can't afford that. Chicken and eggs are a very inexpensive, for the most part, protein to provide for families that don't have the income to go out and buy a $20 pasture-raised poultry, uh, poultry chicken uh, or to pay 5 6 $7 for pasture-raised eggs. They just can't do it. So they're relying on, I guess you could call it big egg, to help feed their family. So I mean, we've debated this before on the show. We've had the commercial folks on. We've had the pastured poultry folks on. And uh, we just try to walk that line in between and, and share the reasons why um, this uh, often is done. Let's get on with the show today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, talking all about aflatoxin today. Let's head over here and give him a big chicken whisperer. Welcome to today's show. Hey, Peter, how you doing today, my friend? All right, Andy, how are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, so far, so good regarding the show. We've had a little chickens in the news about some pastured poultry uh, training or, or uh, Studies are going on out at UC Davis. We talked a little bit about, uh, in fact, when I was uh, checking out uh, just a couple of days ago from uh, Win Dixie here, they had uh, all those rotisserie chickens stacked up in there for four ninety nine. $4.99 for that rotisserie chicken. You know, you, you go to you go to Ideal Poultry and you're buying a, a baby chick for, uh, you know, $3. And now I can get one that's already been raised and already been fed, already been hauled down, a, down through a truck, and I've already been processed and it's already been cooked for me for a dollar more. So, uh, you know, hey, it is it is what it is. But we could bait that all day long. We always yeah. see the happens, you know. But it's, uh, it's I saw it and I thought, you know what? Four ninety nine, and I'm thinking about buying that little baby chick from Ideal Poultry for three bucks. And I'm thinking I'm getting a lot of value from my buck, but then you know you think about that chicken, and it is what it is. We have ton. You know, you know, what a lot of people listen to the show. They all have yep. their own separate views, and some eat chicken, some don't. Some buy at the store, some only do pasture raised. Some don't eat chicken at all. We got vegans that listen to the show, and they don't eat the yep. eggs or the chicken. They freeze them for all those other great reasons, and that's the cool thing about doing this is that. Uh, the fan base is so huge because everybody loves chicken, uh, even those predators out there we talk about. But um, Now, I did some research here about the uh, aflatoxin, and basically it's kind of a uh, it's, it's a bacteria fungus if, if some, that, that affects, I guess, it can be in the feed. Is it's that a, right? It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a fungus that produces a toxin. And it's, uh, okay. It's, it's an interesting subject. We've, we've done it years ago. I don't believe we did it at any time uh, in the near no. uh, past. But um, uh, it, it, it is something I, I thought about it the other day. Um, mm-hmm. We're looking at all of these different um, uh, weather changes, and th- this makes this kind of a disease problem uh, thrive, that hot, cold, dry, uh, wet uh, scenario that we see often now, um, you know, don't want to get into the climate change uh, scenario, but... Um, with all of the different things that are going on. Some places are experiencing drought, other places uh, a lot of, uh, uh, of moisture. Uh, I've even noticed here um, that some soybeans uh, appear to me at this point to probably be going to be left in the field, and there's probably something wrong with them. Uh, might have been let go too long uh, in the growth cycle or whatever. I don't pay that much attention to that part of it, but we grow a lot of soybeans and corn here. Uh, due to the local uh, poultry industry, and um, uh, 
uh, almost every street corner's got a field of some sort with uh, either corn or soybeans or or um, um, sorghum and, and that kind of thing. So um, it, it it came to mind uh, in a recent rain that we had. Uh, saw a lot of the combines out in the field working, trying to get it in before the rain. Um, so just triggered that in my mind. That's what that's what uh, brought me around to to thinking about it again, saying this is a prime scenario. Uh, for, for uh, you know, aflatoxin, and um, for those that you know that that have grain elevators and stuff around them, that's they are uh, and, and need to be cognizant and aware of um, uh, of these things. And most of them certainly are. Uh, what they do about it is is another story, uh, and that's that's where the issues come in. Um, uh, th- this aflatoxin, as it's called. Um, is uh, the most potent, and this goes for everybody who can understand this, this is the most potent, naturally occurring, operative words, naturally occurring, okay, carcinogen, there's a big word for you, known mm-hmm. to man, known to man, still stands the test of time uh, as being uh, the most potent, naturally occurring uh carcinogen known to man. So uh, the amount that is allowed to be on your cereal grains, your cornflakes, your, your, your Cheerios, uh, and what have you, uh, is, is uh, controlled by the Food and Drug Administration and carried out by the Federal Grain Inspection Service, FGIS. And um, it, depending on the animal, depending on, on the, uh, the age of the animal, it, uh, uh, it um, uh, depends on how much uh, will be allowed to be in the feed uh, or on the grain that they're going to consume, uh, and that uh, uh, I'll, I'll go over that in a minute. It, it's just that I, I want to get this out there, and you know, buying from a reliable source, um, uh, such as as one of your sponsors, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and re, you know, the, the the more they turn over the feed, the better. And secondly, the 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 uh, uh, more attention they pay to to the actual aflatoxins on the grains that they take into their mill. Um, people that see these grain elevators and stuff when it's harvest time, mm-hmm. and even even not so, um, you may not realize that, uh, especially with corn uh, being put in these uh, silos and stuff, they move that corn around. They just mm-hmm. don't let it mm-hmm. pile it in there and let it sit. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, any farm that I've ever worked on where we had our own feed mill. Uh, they were constantly moving that stuff around because you can't allow it to heat up uh, and you can't allow it to get too moist. So mm-hmm. uh, the combination of heat and moisture uh, kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, activates this particular uh, mold to uh, start producing the uh, the, uh, the toxin. And um, once it's been produced, there's no way to get rid of it. It's on the corn mm-hmm. uh, or the, the uh, feed stuff uh, basically forever. Um, so it's something that's that's out there. It's often overlooked when we start it's, looking at birds that are sick. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, just a very timely topic. Just on December 7th, yesterday, um, this year, yesterday, uh, uh, when, you, when you told me the topic for today, I went back and I was like, I think I just read something about that in the current news. And I just pulled it back up and did a search, and here it is from yesterday. Um, U.S. animal feed at risk. Uh, for mycotoxins, analysis confirms. This is a wet spring and a dry 
excuse me, a wet spring and a late dry season took its toll on the 2015 North America crop, producing irregularities in plant growth and now putting poultry and swine at risk for mycotoxin exposure, uh, according to Alltech's North American Harvest Analysis. And yep. So, um, and I, 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 don't, I didn't this. see that, but but um, this is. Um, you know, and those that play in the in the feed world. I mean, if you call up your sponsor, uh, Combat Feeds, I'm sure they'll uh, fill you in on what they do. Um, and um, they're more sophisticated tests uh, and stuff. I haven't necessarily kept up with that anyway because it really doesn't apply to the uh, the people that we deal with. But it does apply to the the mills and stuff. And um, there are sophisticated tests uh, for, uh, that they can run. Um, Within a short period of time, we'll we'll tell them how much aflatoxin is in it, and aflatoxin is measured. Um, go ahead. No, no. Tell me how it's measured, and then I'm going to read this about what they found in this particular study. Yeah, and uh, um, it's measured really in parts per billion. That's how much. That's how toxic it is, and uh, at the lower end of the scale, uh, and it's. And again, it changes with animal, um, the the type of animal you're talking about, whether it's a uh, beef uh, cattle being fed out in a feedlot. Uh, it's um, uh, really not allowed in dairy cattle, to my knowledge, to these higher levels. Uh, but um, uh, chickens, uh, uh, growing swine. chickens, uh, and you know, big swine over 100 pounds, uh, and that kind of thing, seem to be able to tolerate more of it. This probably has to do a lot with the immune system. Um, you know, uh, younger animals not having an immune system fully competent, especially chickens. Uh, so, so young, uh, young, young uh, pigs, young uh, cattle, uh, young chickens, turkeys, uh, quail, pheasants, that kind of stuff. We look at 20 parts per billion. Okay, and as the animals age, uh, that that can go up in feedlots and stuff to um, uh, around 300 parts per billion, which is a lot. I still this think that's way too the, much yeah. in my own. Sure. The the Alltech 37 plus mycotoxin analysis found uh, an average of 3.1 mycotoxins per sample that ranged from lower to higher risk for both swine and poultry. It says 97% of samples tested were positive for at least one mycotoxin. Now, I don't know how that averages over, I'm not a feed expert, so I don't know how that averages over uh, the past years or if that's something that, well, you're going to have the majority of them are probably going to show this at, at this level or something like that. But that's so. Don't I don't say get scared because this number says 97 percent tested positive for at least one mycotoxin. I don't know. We have anything to judge that to, but um, yeah, neither do I. It's not something not something that I follow you know intensely like I might follow some other things. But um, I I think it was worth talking about from my perspective. Just just looking around here, you know, we're you know we're in a rural setting, farm agriculture. uh, Purdue's got their feed mill right down the road here, not too far. And it's constantly trucks and tractors, everybody pulling their corn, soybeans, whatever, um, you know, down to down to the mill. So um, when I, you know, we've had some you know, some really nice days here where it's been uh, higher 60s, close to 70 degrees. But then you know mm-hmm. some of the overnight temperatures have uh, put frost on the windows in the morning, but 60 degrees in the afternoon. And uh, just a couple of days ago, we had uh, several days of of rain and. Uh, uh, you know, just a combination of things, the hot, the cold, the moisture. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, you know, this stuff is what sets it off. Also, um, what sets it off is stress within the crop itself. 
uh, so the the uh, the mold can be there, not producing any any toxins until uh, something sets it off, whether it be temperature, whether it be moisture, or a combination of temperature and moisture, or uh, uh, a fracture uh, of the uh, the grain that 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 uh, that the uh, mold is on. It's opportunistic. It's going to look for a place to set up shop. And any time grain is, is fractured, we all know in harvesting not every piece of grain is the same as the next one. Uh, some get broken, some don't, and, and what have you. It doesn't mean much you when it's no, being... You said there's no ahead. way to fix this. If it's there, it's there. They can't get rid of it. There's no treatment. There's no uh, cleansing. There are, it's, it's, there are some, um, and, and, I, and I've never looked into them, because uh, I don't have any interest in that. And it does again. It doesn't apply to the thing. But uh, I have seen some uh, some companies touting around mycotoxin binders, and just how they mm-hmm. work. I, I honestly don't know, and I wasn't interested in that part of it. What I what I was mm-hmm. interested in, in in doing here was, you know, making people aware that this this is another um, aspect of things that is often overlooked. Um, even in, even uh, many times in, in laboratory settings, they'll they'll look at, for instance, uh, the, this this disease uh, can uh, can and does uh, the majority of the time uh, affect the liver uh, predominantly, and um, depending on how long it's gone on uh, and and how much of the mycotoxin load the bird actually has, <clears throat> you're going to find. Um, that the liver will look just like fatty liver. So um, mm-hmm. why can't somebody just look at it and say, well, that's fatty liver? Well, maybe not. Or maybe not fatty liver as you might know it caused by something else, but fatty liver caused by uh, this particular uh, toxin. And generally, uh, because it is a carcinogen, you say, okay, where are the tumors? Well, 99.9% of the time you won't see any tumors in birds because they don't live long enough. This this is very, very toxic to their liver, um, and um, you know, mortality man, can be all over the place. Morbidity is is the thing that you you might see, but you're really not going to see a whole lot of things. And that, that's the that's the reason why, or one of the reasons why, the, these things uh, go on uh, unchecked uh, and unrealized uh, by uh, uh, you know people you know raising poultry, uh, even in the commercial mm-hmm. sector mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, even when I when I was working in it, you know, we had. Uh, a flock of birds that uh, had some uh, moldy feed, and, and uh, um, just how it got there, I don't remember. But uh, it it did have uh, you know uh, a profound effect on the flock. These were breeders, and um, you know egg production suffers, body weight, mortality, morbidity. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. birds that don't die but are sick and just don't do anything, they eat and and uh, wither away to nothing. Uh, so it does take its toll. It's 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 nasty. It's not uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not uh, bird friendly by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but uh, this can come around uh, in fields where um, uh, multiple crops are grown. Um, we see this from time to time, uh, and again in these wet uh, conditions, uh, wet dry, uh, uh, wet dry moist, uh, and, and the back and forth, and that's where the stress comes in. The heat on one end, the moisture on the other. Uh, back to cold, back to uh, hot, and throw some more moisture in, uh, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, so we will we will see this, but it, it can grow in in um, um, uh, crop residue stubble hay. Um, so if you had a field that, because um, I've seen it here a number of times, uh, hay was grown on a field first, 
and then they come back and put soybeans over top of it or corn, um, mm-hmm. or they'll they'll um, uh, no-till a, a plot, and uh, so that stubble that's left behind, that that residue, uh, you know, can be a, a a safe haven for this stuff uh, to to get it uh, get it started. So it's a number of, of ways, a number of places uh, that this can can go. Um, Generally, uh, if if you've ever been around a, a a a grain elevator feed mill type situation, when they take the, the grain in, they they do stick the load of stuff coming in to find out what's in it. Um, mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. sure today. I know back in the day when I was involved in this, it was more black light um, uh, to look for it. But that's really uh, not as sophisticated as uh, some of the things they're they're doing today. The last. Uh, thing that I saw because I was involved in this a little bit on my own uh, early on um, when the um, a um, company called Neogen at the time I don't know where they are today and what they do um, but um, the uh, they made an ELISA test kit where you you know you take a sample grind it up um, uh, run it through a, a particular size sieve and, and then um, um, Soak it in this material, then take that out and put it in these plates, and, and look for the the presence of, of mycotoxins, and then put it in a an ELISA reader, and it would give you the the, uh, the parts per billion. Uh, actually, I have the the reader somewhere around here. It's useless because I don't have any of the kits to to run through it, and I'm not even sure if they're available. But um, a situation like that, uh, they're able to tell you, you know, pretty much right down to the uh, to the wire of what's how many parts per billion uh, are in that particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sample and then you, as a as a feed mill, can uh, accept it or reject it. But they me, they move this. this. Yeah. I was just going to ask: Is this um, when this happens, and let's say some bad food gets by, uh, whether it be at the commercial level or the backyard or the hobbyist level, are we more likely to see a widespread quote outbreak of now sick birds, or is this something that? Um, uh, I guess a three-part question is: it, Is it going to be if, if this sneaks through, will we see some type of outbreak that will have massive uh, mortality? Um, or that's number one. Number two uh, is you said this is bad, bad news. So in most cases, this flock may not because they're quote unquote healthy <laughs> might uh, overcome this, and where this flock may not. That's my second question. And then my third question is: uh, Can this happen? After the feed mill, at that level, so so we go to a store and we they pull us out some feed. <clears throat> how many people actually look at the date of that tag to see how old or new that you know to where this can occur from that bag of feed um, that I'm going to feed my chickens in my backyard in urban Atlanta, six chickens, well, you know that scenario where it's set in the feed store, it got wet, it got hot, it got a little wet, and then it got hot, and then it got cold uh, over the maybe four to six weeks it was sitting there before I come in and, and buy it. So that, I guess those are my three questions, how to keep it related to a lot of our listeners. Is this, if it occurs at the feed meal level, can, are we, we going to see an outbreak? Number two, can some healthier chickens deal with this or not? Uh, mm-hmm. Healthier, you know, is, is it, can they get through it? And then lastly, can this happen even way after, can, the, can this process happen? Can these mycotoxins occur sitting in our feed store and having the same reaction of wet and cold and moisture and heat? This, uh, <laughs> this, let me answer it this way, and then we can pull it apart yeah. however you want to. Um, okay. This is considered to be uh, a disease uh, organism 
the toxin uh, that that is both um, um, something that happens uh, in the field, okay, uh, mm-hmm. which is pre-harvest, and also happens after harvest. Okay. Because once once the the mold is in place, it's just a matter mm-hmm. of uh, something triggering uh, it to produce the toxin, and whether that be the uh, conditions under which it's held. So, let's assume that um, this this is a scenario that I think you're after. So I harvest my corn, and I put it in my truck, and I take it to the feed mill. They stick the load, and they say it's acceptable. So they let's let's say it, it's 18 parts per billion. They take the load in, and they're happy with it. Um, they also at that point usually test the moisture level of it. Um, if the if it is above uh, 13, 14 percent moisture, they're going to dry it down a little bit. Okay, most of it I think comes in higher than that, but they're still going to dry it down to that level or below, and then they're going to put it into their silo, and then they're going to constantly move that stuff around to keep it uh, dry and to keep it, uh, you know, from getting hot spots in it and creating that, that heat. Any breakdown anywhere along the line, I don't forget, you're relying on employees to, to uh, number one, uh, probably hate to say this, somebody would not like it, but uh, truthful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lots of folks, when something happens on your watch um, and, you you know, you get something straightened out, you, you don't mention anybody because you may, maybe you don't think it's a big deal. So it does happen both ways. It happens, you know, uh, uh, as it comes into to the mill, and it happens afterward. Whether or not it happens in the bag, I can't say. I have no evidence to prove other than the fact that something that gets mm-hmm. actual moisture into the bag, the bag itself, you know, uh, yeah, that's going to happen. That, that's going to be obvious to, to people. But um, I always tell people to buy from a, a, a reliable source that is turning the feed over and over. Uh, a lot of folks... Uh, I know buy on price, and uh, sometimes the cheapest guy isn't always the best guy, and sometimes the more expensive guy isn't that way either. So I think knowing your source, um, um, and we've talked about this in the, in the past, when you go and you get a feed bag that's got a hole in it, that's not the one you want. When you have one that's got uh, what appears to be obvious um, uh, mouse or or, or uh or rat uh, droppings and or urine on it or any off uh, mm-hmm. smell to, to the outside of that bag, that's not the bag you want. And if that's happening, that's not the place you want to buy your feed. Because I can mm-hmm. tell you that if they're letting their guard down on, on rodent control, they're not paying attention to anything else either, rotating stuff around. How many places do you know that are going to have a half a ton of feed sitting on the floor Okay, mm-hmm. and getting two tons in and going to rotate the half a ton that's there. They're going to put the other, you know, nine times out of ten. I'm not saying nobody does it, but I'm saying on average, people are not that willing to 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 uh, have to, you know fifty pound bags for no good reason. If they got a forklift, mm-hmm. it makes it easier. But but by and large, you know, they're just going to stack it up, and that stuff in the bottom, the the that. Uh, 30 or 40 bags or half a ton or so that's been sitting there may sit there for more than a year. You don't know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, to answer your question, I guess in a shorter way, yeah, it can happen either side of the fence. It just depends. Um, and I would say that, uh, the, the uh, for instance, um, according to, to the, the FGIS uh, regulations, you can have a higher degree of aflatoxin level in uh, layer feed because they're older birds. 
you can have five times as much as you can for growing birds. So you can have 100 parts per billion in the layer feed. Um, I dare say, uh, and, and we've talked this uh, many times, it all ties in. It's all relevant when you come right down to it, but the immune system plays a big part in this, and this will attack the liver, the intestines, the heart, uh, the immune system. So uh, now you have birds that, you know, much more susceptible, birds that are on the edge. Um, uh, you know, there, there seems to be, um, it's a little bit off, off topic, but not necessarily. There, there is a, uh, a, a school of thought um, to try to understand, you know, why birds that have been immunized with Merrick's disease vaccine, whether it be commercial or you doing it yourself, as they age and become older, we're seeing more and more birds these days with um, Merrick's at an older age, okay? Which, if you go back and look at all of the uh, literature and everything else, kind of says, well, that really shouldn't happen because it's a younger bird disease, by, uh, and there is mm-hmm. some natural resistance as the birds age, and the fact that they've been vaccinated, you would think that this wouldn't happen. Yeah, but the research shows that those, and done by competent people, not by some jackwad somewhere that thinks he knows something, but done by Dr. Witter, who's now retired from the Department of Agriculture Avian Oncology Laboratory, okay, where they study this stuff day in, day out, uh, and and so on, uh, and and others in his laboratory at the time, uh, that this is related uh late onset of Merrick's in many cases where birds were properly immunized uh, and so on but have age to them uh, is immune system deficient related. So somewhere along the line, uh, a breakdown in that bird's immune system for whatever the reason, uh, whether that be uh, the lymphoid, uh, uh, the gut-associated lymphoid tissue we've talked about many, many times that resides 60% or so in the the intestine. So a bird Mm -hmm. that has uh, a compromise there may be susceptible. Uh, maybe there are some other underlying factors that affect that immune system for, for that bird. So all of this is tied in as to whether or not it's going to uh, affect a, a bird that's older. And I dare say any time you allow more of this stuff into the, the feed stuff, uh, some cattle is allowed to 300 parts per billion. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. And okay. I'm going to stop you right there and go to uh, a commercial break, folks. We're talking with Peter Brown also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. We're talking all about aflatoxin today. Fascinating topic. Got some great questions uh, that he's going through right now, and uh, there'll be more, so keep those notebooks handy. We'll be back right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensea.com. Brensea spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensea.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brency, technology you can trust. (laughs) 
You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Ha, 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 ha. 
I tell you what, you may not believe me, but it is very difficult to get all those chickens on the roost at the same time and get them in tune, warmed up, rehearsed, and to actually do that. I'm telling you, it is a feat that is just absolutely uh, out of this world difficult, but yet I do it just for you folks because you love to hear those those uh, carols uh, during this time. of. Uh, and, you know, it's it's uh, there's always a problem, chicken. You hear that one in the back, just off-key a little bit. But it's, uh, you know, they, they don't get their mealworm treats if they do that after they sing. So, but um, <laughs> it's difficult, Peter. It's difficult. Um <laughs> 17 days, folks, and uh, the, the chickens are uh, are, um, are getting, you know, they practice every day to keep their their uh, their, their voice just, just for the show, just for the show. So um, <laughs> I will, uh, we will continue. We're talking about Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, folks, and we're talking about um, aflatoxins today and a fascinating topic that can affect us regardless of where we really buy our food, as he was explaining uh, before the break. So uh, we'll let you continue, Peter. Yeah, there's not a whole lot more to this. It's a, it's a, but it is, it is an interesting subject, and it is real. It's, it's an everyday thing, and, and uh, uh, it's something that it's, you can get into, you know, unknowingly. Um, if they you know, know, if and, they do, if they learn nothing from the show other than some history about this, but then know that you know, don't just take it for granted when you go in and say, yeah, I want um, four bags of, of uh, layer pellets. You know, look sure. at. I'm, we stress that a lot. Look at the label. See what's in your food. Look at the date of production. See how old it is. And, and it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens frequently enough to make mention is that on some of these blogs and forums out there, the chicken forums, you'll see somebody that will post an open bag of feed and say, look at these bugs in my feed. Should I mm-hmm. take this back? Is this going to be okay? Is this just added protein for my chickens? Um, and, and of course, you know, look at the date, and then look, you know, no, it's not okay. Take it back to the to the to the dealer. But but yeah, that happens. Again, I wouldn't say frequently, but it happens often enough to be mentioned that they'll they'll post a picture and say, what are these bugs? They found them in my food. I just bought it this week. Um, what what should I do? Should I take it back? Again, people because they're because they're chickens and they scratch for insects. So I just go ahead and give it to them. Heck, they're eating insects anyway. That type of thing. Um, and uh, so it does have you know these things happen out there for as many people are keeping these chickens nowadays. Yeah, and I think that you know um, to to me from my perspective, and, and and certainly mine isn't always in line with everybody else's, but. Um, this kind of blows holes, and to to some degree, the uh, the organic movement in, in my uh, in my eyes, uh, because as you just saw, or or just read actually about how many samples uh, that were tested were were positive. I mean, this is everywhere. This is naturally occurring. This is not something. I don't care if you're organic. Uh, uh, right down to mm-hmm. the last letter of everything, this has nothing to do with being organic. Uh, my my point is. And I, I do understand the organic thing. My biggest thing with it is is uh, uh, not so much uh, whether you eat or you don't eat organic. I think if you have the opportunity to get it and you can prove it that it really is organic, uh, I'm I'm all, I'm all for that. That's fine. I think my rub comes in when uh, a sign is posted out front somewhere and somebody says it's organic and you haven't got a clue as to what it is and the government's not regulating it and and uh, and that kind of thing, and then you're just overpaying for something that may or may not be what you really were were getting. So um, I'm always mm-hmm. leery mm-hmm. of that aspect of it. But as far as eating healthy, uh, there's nobody that wants to eat any healthier than I do. 
Um, yep. And uh, I've proven that <laughs> the hard way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, so it, it, it's important. And, and this stuff is not just on your corn. Uh, this is on uh, a whole lot of, of different uh, commodities that are out there, uh, wheat, rice. Uh, so, you know, uh, um, even if you're a vegetarian, you're going to be exposed to this uh, if you're eating, you know, wheat, rice, corn, uh, soybeans, uh and all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, nuts, okay? I, I eat a lot of nuts. Uh, you know, so I'm exposed to it too, but just hopefully that everybody's doing their job. That's all you can do is, is hope that uh, uh, the inspection of all these products, uh, uh, you know, are as they say they are. And um, the, the government is is responsible for um, uh, um, making sure that these things um, uh, are done. So it makes me a little leery there too, because they're in charge of it. But that's another story. Um, mm-hmm. Chickens um, uh, can be a little bit uh, more resistant to this, but we still do see it in chickens. There is a little bit of resistance there, and uh, turkeys, uh, quail, and pheasants, uh, and uh, guinea fowl are much more susceptible. Ducks much more susceptible uh, to this kind of, of, of thing. So it makes me wonder sometimes, you know. Um, if, if you were to look at the bird upon post-mortem examination, you, you would see a liver that's reddened instead of that nice bronze look that they're supposed to have. Uh, and um, as the disease progresses, depending on, on the um, uh, amount of toxin that's been ingested uh, and for how long, um, you're going to see the uh, congestion of the liver. When we say congestion, what it means is that um, uh, the nutrients that are normally processed in the liver uh, are not making their way out of the liver like they're supposed to. So when you see a liver that has these huge yellow spots on it, that's fat. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's an accumulation of fat in the liver. It's not supposed to be there, and that's where your fatty liver comes from. Um, but also uh, with these aflatoxins, you're going to see the same thing. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot to be be learned here. Uh, the, the There are many many different types of toxins. We're only talking about basically one, maybe two here uh, for this, this particular thing, but there are uh, actually many different different ones. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, and it doesn't always, uh, I think there are, are close to some um, uh, 200 or so that are possible out there, but only, um, only a handful that are really uh, tracked. But uh, at any rate... Um, we're, we're basically talking about here uh, Aspergillus flavus, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one that we uh, we normally uh, look to, um, and the other one is uh, Aspergillus parasiticus. Um, I don't think anybody needs to really get too excited about the uh, the scientific names of them. Uh, more or less, know that this is out there, and you know, be more cognizant of where you buy your feed and uh, how long you keep your feed around. Sometimes getting a bargain on 100 pounds of feed when you only use, you know, 20 pounds a month or or whatever is not necessarily a bargain. You know, even at your place, it's sitting because you're not going to have it in a controlled environment. Um, if you've got it in a metal can, uh, guess what? Today it's going to be uh, 70 degrees out. The can's going to heat up. And tonight it's going to be 35, and it's going to cool down. There's going to be condensation in that can, no matter what you do. So, um, you know, that in itself can can be detrimental. Um, you know, we don't buy more than one bag at a time here. It's so easy for us to get the feed, and, and uh, um, ours waste more than they eat. Trust me. 
And, um, <laughs> you know, well, they just do, you know. And, and, Sounds like my kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a, a big concern here. We just, it's more of a pain neck to clean it up and get rid of it. But uh, uh, whatever they waste and get on the ground and don't consume uh, at the end of the day is, is all picked up and and um, discarded. But at any rate, uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Uh, you know, the, the again, the, <clears throat> the elevator where you where the grain is, is stored. Uh, plays a big role in, in whether or not uh, the uh, aflatoxins can grow afterward by how they uh, handle that grain, how well they dry it down. Um, you know, a farmer that uh, uh, brings wet grain into the into the mill is not going to get paid as much because they're going to have to dry it down, and that that's a costly uh, adventure. Uh, so, um, just uh, you know. As we always say, a little bit of due diligence and paying attention to to what's going on can save you a lot of heart, heartache and grief later on. Remind us again before we let you go, uh, maybe what to look out for. Uh, is there any kind of signs or symptoms that would specifically point to this, or is this something that um, that may present like many other things with, with backyard poultry, and we just end up having to do a test, or the ultimate is just having a necropsy done? This is going to present like a lot of other diseases. Um, you're going to see birds who uh, eat and don't put on weight. Um, you're going to see birds that uh, uh, egg production would drop. Uh, weight gain will be lost. They'll sort of start losing weight even though so even though they're eating. And you look at it and you go, geez, I just treated for coccidiosis last week. How can this be? And it may not be coccidiosis. It may be this. Mm-hmm. Maybe some other abnormality besides. But so that's the difficulty of it. It points to a whole lot of things, and now you scratch your head. And if you're in an area where you you know you don't have access to a state lab, uh, you may live in a state that mm-hmm. is poultry orientated, but you live at the opposite end of the state where they really don't grow poultry. Um, you know, if you're here in Maryland, if you're here on the eastern shore where I am, you have two options. You can either go to the Maryland lab or you can go to the Delaware lab. I prefer the Delaware lab myself. But if you are on the other side of the bay and out in the western part of Maryland, um, um, I don't believe there's anybody out there to help you and from mm-hmm, the, at the state level. You know, um, so you're going to have to come all the way east in order to get it done. Most people are not going to do it. Time constraints, travel, cost, uh, the whole thing, and uh, and and this can be one of those things. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this um, <clears throat> a few minutes ago. Um, this may not be a flock-wide thing because every piece of grain is not going to be uh, tainted. So uh, if, if the bag has uh, an area where, where there's, there's more of the toxin in, the, in a particular part of the bag and one bird gets a lot of it, that bird may be sick. The others might go on with, uh, with, uh, you know, with no big deal. So uh, it, it is a problem, and it, you know, and, and as you alluded to, you read the article. I didn't, you know. It, mm-hmm. It's alluding to the fact that it's it's there. It seems to be more now than maybe before. I don't know. It's not something that I I normally keep track of because um, I, I haven't seen anybody come to me and tell me that their lab said they had an aflatoxin problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, um, and and there is no particular. Uh, um, you know, one thing that's going to point directly to it and say, "Aha, this is this is uh, you know aflatoxin." <laughs> would it be safe to say, or would it be safe to assume that more than likely something else is going to kill or your birds or make them sick 
um, other than this until this happens. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. It's a, it's a funny way to look at it, but uh, you're, you're exactly right. Um, just just the way I feel about you know uh, you know um, organic products and GMO corn and all that kind of stuff. You're going to die mm-hmm. from your baconator sandwich that you're eating and your red meats and and your fried foods and your your um, <laughs> you know your your um, high fructose corn syrup and and all the other garbage that you eat in the course of a day. Um, and that's not to say you shouldn't worry about the the, the, the GMO situation. I, I, I still think that's a, a can of worms that's up in the air until somebody proves it. Um, and if it's there, somebody will prove it at some point in time. It just 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 depends. But um, you know, it's it's just one of those things. It it's mm-hmm. it's what you choose to do. And I've you know been doing this long enough now to understand. It's I can tell by by talking to somebody on the phone. Um, when we're talking about their chickens, I can t- tell you what they're going to do and what they're not going to do, okay, just by the demeanor of, of what they say, how it's said and the context it's said. And you're just able to pick it out after a while. You can tell mm-hmm. some of them are going to do something, others are not going to do anything. Or others are going to look for that natural remedy that uh, they heard about that Aunt Tilly had when she was a kid. And um, it may work and it may not. Can't poo-poo mm-hmm. that either. Some of these uh, natural remedies uh, uh, used properly um, and the, the proper strength and so on for the proper period of time do have some validity. There's any question to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. None whatsoever. And I think we've proved that time in, time out with uh, the oil of oregano. I just had mm-hmm. a, a, a client not too long ago, a couple months back now, um, from Ohio. Uh, I was growing out some, some quail and had some uh, quail enteritis and uh, went online, ordered some uh, BMD Bastracin, which is a normal uh, product used for that, and um, called me and, and talked to me about it uh, after he'd used it, and he wasn't satisfied. And I said, well, you know, why don't you try the oil of oregano? And he tried it, and he's happy with it, and it's reordered. And so there you go. And, uh, you know, will it work in every case? Farm- that big turkey farm you 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 uh, have on this yep. day three years now no blackhead yeah almost four now yeah yeah yep and and no blackhead at all and um, more turkeys uh, more turkeys with more weight um, and technically um, not certified organic but now no medications of any kind go into the birds at all mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, uh, he's 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 happy. Uh, his clientele is happy. The birds. Uh, um, I've got a friend of mine, uh, actually, that buys two turkeys a year from there. He said the best turkeys he's ever had. Already he's seasoned with oregano. <laughs> yeah, already. Yeah, but um, no, you know, and and again, you know, if you research these things out and you find out what the active ingredient is in the uh, oil of oregano, which is cravicol. And you find out that not all species of, uh, of, of oregano uh, have enough of it in to mount a hill of beans. Therein lies the difference. And, you know, how that's applied. This stuff, um, while it's, it is an oil of oregano, it has been uh, changed in some way, shape, or form so that it stays in, in, in solution. And that's the key. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the key. Because then when a bird takes some of it, uh, it, it gets where it needs to go instead of staying on top of the water, which makes birds back away from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not all birds will, will, will drink it when it's sitting on top of the water. This stuff mm-hmm. here, 
Um, and like I said, he's using 40 ounces to 1,000 gallons of water. That's a, that's a, a heck of a dilution, you know. But uh, very happy with it. I, I talked to him uh, just about two weeks ago, and uh, they're doing very well with it, just, just as happy as can be. So, um, Good deal. Good for him. And there's an article in Chicken Whisper magazine um, last year. You'll have to go and find uh, at chickenwhispermagazine.com which uh, ep- episode, which uh, um, issue it actually is in, but you did an article for Chicken Whisper Magazine about the, the um, benefits of the uh, oil of oregano. Yep, the oil of oregano, the garlic, and the turmeric, all three of them. And, and again, yep. you know, uh, getting the right ones, um, using them all the time. Uh, you know, uh, back when, when I was doing a lot of research on the, uh, the turmeric uh, uh, and uh, got a hold of... Uh, Dr. Barat Agarwal, who at the time was uh, head of this research division at the MD Anderson Cancer Research uh, Center, University of Texas, and uh, uh, he filled me in on all of it about how it works and and uh, you know how you can't use it after you've you know uh, not effectively anyway. Uh, if you're going to wait till you got stage four liver cancer and then going to expect it to do something, you're probably dreaming. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, clued me in then to the fact too that. Uh, you know, turmeric by itself is is not absorbed well, and that you know it's better with the uh, bioperine, which is an extract of the black peppercorn, and um, you know all of those things. So the, when you put it all together, that makes a big difference. Okay, it's, the bioavailability of it is also another thing. So it's huge. Uh, it's huge. Yeah, it, it is huge. Hey, whether whether it be this or or any human drug, if it, you know you can take something in if it isn't going to be beneficial. So it makes a big difference. Yeah, just because people they'll, they'll pick, they'll take a study and they'll pick out the tagline. Oh, well, all of oregano is good for you know. But like you said, it has to be given with this or attached to this to have it actually work. Yep. And then just just putting some uh, uh, oregano oil you bought at the grocery store down in the water is not gonna. <laughs> it's yeah, you got to read more than just the top of the study. You got to read. Just well, like to give you an example. Are, to give you an example, you go back to the guy that, that, that's using it here on these turkeys, okay? Late last year, um, for whatever reason, he never gave me a good explanation, not that he owes me any kind of an explanation whatsoever, um, decided that uh, for the last uh, bunch of the, the birds that he had, that he would just, you know, when he got up good size and good age on him, he just knocked off the oil of oregano. Well, within two weeks, they came down with foul cholera. Oh, jeez. This year, he kept them right on through, right right on to the day they went to har- harvest them and never had a problem at all, period. So it, it makes a difference, and, and the difference is that uh, keeping that gut and keeping that immune system on a high degree of alert so that it can handle things and it isn't under attack from something else, you know, it's kind of like an army, you know. If you don't protect all the flanks, guess what? You get outflanked, you get killed. So it's kind of like the same thing, uh, you know, with these diseases. If you don't pay attention... You know, it, it's it's going to come back and, and haunt you. You're, you're much better off to prevent something than you are to treat it. I don't care who you are, where mm-hmm. you are. You know, and I've, been, I've been doing this for a long time, and, you know, it's just one of those things, you know. And for this aflatoxin, there really isn't any real prevention uh, at, or treatment. <clears throat> um, so your, your, your best bet is to be informed and, and try mm-hmm. to buy feed from the best available source that you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, go go with it from there. Be diligent about it. I think you'll never have a problem with it. Most people won't. All righty. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Interesting topic. Great 
um, information as always. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you next week. I appreciate it, Peter Brown. Yep, and I do have that uh, Hoverbader Genesis 1588 with the Turner on on the site. The picture's not available yet, but it's a 169.95 for both. I don't think you find it too much cheaper if you can find it cheaper anywhere else. Uh, the unit by itself, the 1588, uh, 119.95, and I know you're not going to find it any cheaper than that. Mm-mm. So. And the Sweden is still okay. the same deal, free shipping, and I'll probably continue that for a good while. So. Okay, so free shipping on the Sweeter heaters, uh, and yep. you've got the Genesis 15, Model 1588 uh, incubator, yep. and I think you said 119 on that, and then the combo with the egg turner, 169. Yep. All righty, and that's at firststatevetsupply.com, firststatevetsupply.com. Appreciate it, Peter. We'll see you next week, my friend. Okay, Andy, take care. You do the same, my friend. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com. And try Love Nest Organic Blends for your backyard friends today. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Come back.
Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, 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 back. Come back, From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, of course, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. I just posted about 30 minutes ago during the show um, about uh, the avian uh, influenza outbreak over in Europe right now. They've been dealing with that in France, and now Germany actually reports an H5N2 avian flu outbreak over in Germany. They don't know if it's related to the outbreak in France or not, but now Germany is dealing with this uh, um, outbreak, and I also posted that you know things have been pretty quiet here. Knock on wood, uh, here in the United States, but we are not out of the woods yet. I, um, I was in contact yesterday, actually, with NPIP asking them about that, and and um, they said no, we are definitely not out of the woods yet. In fact, last year the first finding of avian influenza here in the U.S. was on December twelfth. We still have four days to go before we uh, the anniversary of this outbreak last year. So uh, we're just really getting into this season for this. So let's continue to keep practicing good biosecurity with our flocks. Don't share tools. Um, have a designated pair of boots you only wear in your backyard, not to the feed store, not to other people's houses that have chickens. Um, we're going to have hand sanitizer, and we're going to use it before we go in and before we go out of the running coop. Um, again, a foot wash if you have to wear your expensive boots that you paid $200 for elsewhere other than your backyard. You know, Maybe get a pair of $19 uh, rubber uh, muck boots uh, from, from the store that you can only use in your backyard to prevent from tracking out and bringing in disease. Um, just things like that we can do. Uh, if you have a pond on your property, uh, don't let your chickens and, and, and your birds uh, head out there. Uh, to, to get their water. Try to keep them a little bit more contained. Eliminate those wild backyard bird feeders and wild backyard bird baths. Um, eliminate them completely or get them into the front yard where your birds, your, your flock can't access those at all. Um, and then uh, if this does rear its ugly head, then you may want to consider uh, covering uh, an enclosed run um, to protect them from other birds and bird droppings and whatnot and kind of keep them contained until we get out of this like we did last year. Uh, we're hoping for the best, but we always prepare for the worst. So, again, it's not that hard. It's not a bad word. It's not not this horrible thing, biosecurity. It's a good thing. And, um, you know, you don't have to do everything in the manual. Choose some things that you feel that you can do uh, and you can stick with. Uh, everything that you can choose to do, that's one step towards, again, better biosecurity and keeping your flock healthy. So thank you very much for tuning in today. No show tomorrow, but we will return Thursday, uh, actually Thursday at 10 a.m., Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be welcoming the good folks from eAnimal Products. They'll be talking about ePoultry, uh, a new additive, just one cap full a day into your water is all it takes for a healthier immune system. They're going to explain why, how it works, the success they've had, 
That's this Thursday, 10 a.m., right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We appreciate you tuning in today. God bless everybody. Aww.